Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. You should really go visit www.courtroomsciences.com. I mean, all your litigation support needs, one website. What more do you want? I am coming at you live from my back porch in Orlando, Florida. This is where I started the podcast, right where I'm sitting in the exact seat. And the reason I'm sitting out here is because it's February. It is currently 79 degrees and sunny. So if you're watching this, you see my background, tropical background. Well, all you folks up there in New York, New Jersey, my former residence, Chicago, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you're all freezing your asses up. You're probably shoveling snow right now. And I have to turn a fan on out here. That's how nice it is. So it's nice to be able to come back to the back porch. I can get away with this till maybe May, June. And then it's 97 degrees out. And we're going to be back in the, we're going to be back in the man cave doing the podcast. <clears throat> but I wanted a little change of scenery. <clears throat> wanted to uh, give you some updates on what's going on. Uh, it's been a kind of a crazy 2022 so far. In a number of different ways, many of them not good, but there are some positive things, <clears throat> which is there's a, finally defense bar. Uh, a lot of training is going on, and so um, what I'm seeing is now various industries and in defense bar really taking this seriously, and they are signing up for for training. Um, much of the training has been focused towards the um, corporate rep uh, deposition training very, very important. Uh, we've been providing this for a number of years, but I think now with your nuclear verdicts being so publicized, everybody's <clears throat> scared shitless. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of calls for that and that is really good. So we're providing that training. It's going extraordinarily well, doing a lot of this in the trucking and transportation industry. Healthcare, uh, you know, healthcare, uh, they call, but they typically call when the house is on fire, right? and all the alarms are going off. Uh, I really don't like working in that position. Hence, I'm gonna give you a case study right now. Of course, I get a call last week and they say, um, you know, our doctor has a trial, can, you know, we need you, to, we need you to fix them. I said, well, when's your trial? <clears throat> of course, their response is, uh, it's on Monday. And uh, this phone call took place on Wednesday, last Wednesday, uh, so trial started Monday. So I had to take some evening time uh, to work uh, with this physician prior to testimony. And he uh, testified yesterday and we talked last night and he thought it went fantastic. They called him as an adverse witness, as we predicted. And what he told me, what happened was exactly what I told him what would happen. He, he was pretty nervous, but I went through and I said, the first thing, like, there's four big things we got to do here. Number one, you have to control the pace of the testimony. Plaintiff attorney is going to get up. They want to rapid fire question you. And if you just start rattling off yeses really quickly, you're going to fall into a trap. And he said he was able to uh, be very patient, take a solid two to three seconds before answering, making sure he was able to turn to the jury for most of his answers on adverse examination. And he said this really deeply frustrated plans counsel. So we can check that box. Second thing he did, this is, and you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. 
did not pivot. Okay. When threatening facts came up, when threatening facts came up, he owned them, absolutely owned them to the point where he said that several times during the adverse examination that the, that the plaintiff's counsel had to say, your honor, may I have a moment, go back to his desk, to his partner and figure out what to do. See, that's the key with, with anti-pivoting. I'm an anti-pivoter. See, if you pivot, and you do this, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but you're opening up the door to, to counterattack. And that's what the plaintiff attorney wants. He wants the witness to argue because a seasoned veteran trial attorney is going to win that argument 100% of the time. Remember, a trial is a battle of perception. It's about perception, particularly when you have a physician on the stand. I mean, what types of characteristics do jurors want to see from physicians? Well, calm, right? Compassionate, confident comfortable. And when a, a witness is told to pivot, they become argumentative, they become evasive, they become defensive, they start to sound like a politician. And that's where pivoting really, really comes from. So I know you've all heard of this. But if anybody tries to sell you on that, um, they're dead wrong. I can scientifically prove that because we're doing focus groups and mock trials every week across the country. Jurors can't stand it. So when the when the tough facts came up, what this physician did is exactly what I trained to do. He said, yes, that's exactly what I did in that clinical circumstance. Okay, that's exactly what I did. And he owned everything and there was nowhere to go. There's no counterattack. So what ended up happening was a very frustrated plaintiff attorney ends up sitting down. Now on the rehabilitation, right? So our physician's attorney stands up. So third thing we need to accomplish is you can't overwhelm this jury with a bunch of, with a bunch of long, elaborate medical answers. You've got to chunk this up and really spoon feed this jury. And that's exactly what he did. He had short, concise answers, allowed his attorney okay, to really be in control and to really pull out the information bit by bit, turn to that jury and give and give really good explanations that were not over the top. They were not too long. I mean, a juror, listen, a juror, I call it the five second rule, juror attention span and short-term memory, five seconds. You got five seconds, then they're trying to take notes. Okay, these long elaborate answers, it doesn't have to be medical either. Okay, it could be, could be trucking, could be construct, could be product liability. When you're trying to explain something scientific, jurors can't, they can't tolerate long, complicated answers, even if they're truthful. And that's the problem. <clears throat> Your witness can be telling the truth and they're actually going to be confusing the jury. And so it was very important that on some of these, because this was a complex medical matter, that he was able to break these things down, allow the attorney to ask the right questions rather than him going into full clinical teaching mode and going right over the jury's head. So on so now, as you know, you know, plaintiff's counsel has a second bite at the apple. They called him as an adverse witness. So it's going to be bad guy, good guy, but then the bad guy gets up. And this was the fourth thing I warned him. I said, when this plaintiff attorney gets up for the second time, he's coming after you with the emotional attack, what we call the head game. He is going to pound the podium. He's going to give you an attitude. He's going to bark questions at you. <clears throat> he is going to try to get in your head because what is he trying to do? elicit the fight or fight the fight or flight response 
otherwise known as amygdala hijack, right? Amygdala hippocampus, subcortical part of the brain, responsible for emotion. And so what this plant fraternity did just, I mean, right down the playbook, right? Right down the playbook, came out, started barking at the physician, the physician's well-trained by me, thank you, and saw this coming a mile away. What the physician was able to do was to stay calm, maintain his responses, being consistent, looking at the jury, not taking the bait. And the bait was to get into an argument. So that trial is still going on and we'll get the result. I feel very good about it. But the fact that the witness was able to call me and give me the play-by-play of what just happened that afternoon, I thought was pretty cool. I typically get feedback, you know, from, from the attorney, but to have the witness actually call me was pretty cool. And he thanked me immensely, told me he couldn't do it without me. And where this witness really struggled during the training was he wanted to argue. Okay. He wanted to argue because, you know, when the plaintiff attorney, which we knew that was going to happen, would say, isn't it true? You know, you did not order test X on this particular day. What he really, really wanted to do was to say, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and jump right into the medicine, which was the mistake. That was the mistake. Okay. And he struggled with that. He told me, he said, God, I'm dying to explain. I said, you've got to wait for the rehabilitation. You got to wait for your attorney to get up there. That's exactly what he did. And the attorney got up there and said, you know, um, Dr. Dr. X, you know, can you tell the jury, why didn't you order that test on that particular day? Physician says, hey, I'd be happy to explain. Looks at the jury, gives his very concise and precise response his clinical rationale on why that particular test wasn't necessary. And from what I I heard that that rehabilitation uh, went really, really well, but that's really the trick. You got to rewire the witness's brain to be patient because again, trial is a battle of perception and it's really the timing of the explanations. If your witness is pivoting and arguing and, and defending, okay, during the adverse examination, it's perceived very negatively by the jury. But the same exact explanations that come out with rehabilitation with the defense counsel come across as very logical, you know, medically oriented. It's all about timing, battle of perception. And again, this is where pivoting can get you in a lot of trouble. So that was very good. Very pleased uh, with that. What else is going on? Oh, here's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, Finger pointing. Co-defendants, boy, doing a lot of um, a lot of focus groups and mock trials recently, in which we have a co-defendant that's not necessarily adverse to us. However, we find out through the research that they're going to be. And what I mean by this is, um, I've had several instances where a client calls me and says, "Hey, I want to do a jury study. I want to do a jury study on this particular case coming up." And I always ask, you know, do you have co-defendants? Are you, do you have an, uh, a joint defense? And oftentimes they say, well, we think we're on the same page, but we don't know. Oftentimes they invite the co-defendant to participate, which can get, if you don't have a joint defense, that can blow up in your face. But many times what we're doing in the focus group or mock trial is we're putting on the defense case, but we also have to put on, on what we anticipate our co-defendant's gonna say. And the results have been shocking. 
meaning we we are figuring out that the jury is allocating uh, a lot of blame uh, to maybe many different parties, right? So when you think, for example, in healthcare, oftentimes you're thinking, well, okay, the the physician has his or her own, you know, uh, insurance, and then the hospital owns all the employees and the nurses, and the vast majority of time, you know, they're on the same page. Well, sometimes that's not the case. Uh, oftentimes the the jury wants to put more blame either on the hospital or the doctor, and then you can have some issues. Now, knowing that information and knowing it early in your case, think, think about that. If you're doing a focus group or a mock trial three months before the trial date, and now you find out that information, okay, and you figure out, wow, the way for me to blame, I'm sorry, the way for me to win this case is to blame my co-defendants. Um, th that's going to lead to some fireworks um, at trial, and it's going to be ugly because the number one thing the plaintiff attorney wants is finger pointing. That's what they want because then they get to go to the jury and say, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, <laughs> both of these parties are obviously guilty because they're blaming each other. I don't care how you carve up the blame, but here's all the money I want, and that's a, that's a lottery ticket for a plaintiff attorney. So doing this research prior to mediation I think is really key having that information so you know how to handle that file going forward i, I think is really devastatingly effective uh to the future of that case to both your economic and strategic leverage and decisions that are being made uh we've done several these recently where corporate people uh we just did one uh last week where the ceo i was shocked the ceo of the company showed up and wanted to watch this thing because he knew it was going to be, you know, likely a higher exposure case and brought a lot of uh, other executives uh, with him. It was the highest attended focus group I've ever had in my career. There's like 27 people on in, in the, in the client room. And I think we had five or six participating via zoom. So over 30 people from one organization, watching what was going to happen and now uh they have that info and now going forward i mean trials more than a year away uh they still have a chance uh, uh to mediate the case but now they have leverage they know where the blame is being pointed because they've done their homework they know what the damages ranges really are and you know like any defendant i think the the point is you want to resolve the case you want to resolve it in a reasonable fair way and I think another important thing is they can go to mediation now with the report saying, hey, we had PhD scientists <laughs> study this case, a third party. And these are the results we have, um, which I think is really uh, effective at mediation, uh, oftentimes has a big impact on the um, on the mediator. And so uh, doing the research, but doing it early, I think is where you get the benefit. If you're doing the research and you're doing it late, I think that's where problems happen because there's no there's no time there's no time to fix things. On that note, phone's been ringing off the hook for jury projects, which is telling me that the message is actually resonating now with the defense bar, uh, with corporate America. Nobody wants to be lit up for a nuclear verdict. You don't want to be on the front page of the of the Wall Street Journal. You know, company hit for one hundred million dollars. Uh, you don't want to be that that company. So the good news is that. Finally, um, it, it seems like not just the defense bar, but the insurance 
defense industry has been coming around and willing to pay for this stuff, it's absolutely invaluable. I mean, the return on the investment is ridiculous. And the power of knowledge, okay, the economics of knowledge is huge, okay? You know what cards you're dealing with. You know, you know what jurors actually think about your case. And again, nothing, and this is nothing against the, the trial attorneys, but trial attorneys are forced into a really bad position because clients are asking them, what's going to be the allocation of blame? What is this case worth? Are we going to be 100% on the hook? And they ask the attorney to essentially take an educated guess at what a potential trial outcome would be. And if you're looking at verdict history, that's a really, really bad way to, to, to do things, particularly now that COVID's come through. We've had really a reset of the system. So, and then we also have claims people and attorneys not agreeing on what a case is worth or what a case is going to be like. So doing this research is absolutely crucial um, on some of these more high exposure cases to really get to the bottom of things. Do that. You make better decisions. Also, great way to test your witnesses. We've had some real shockers um, playing some videotapes um, to mock jurors. And what the client thought would be a highly effective witness uh, turned out really, really bad, um, which tells us, hey, we have work to do. We can we can fix this witness. We know what the, we know how the jurors feel about this witness. Um, and then also the, the plaintiff's witnesses, too. Uh, you know, did the jury fall in love with them? Did the jury not believe them? Having that information early. OK, is really if you're I mean, if you're a trial attorney, listen to this podcast you need to get into your client's ear say this is why this is so important let's fast forward to all these nuclear verdicts it's the same formula it's absolutely the same formula lack of preparation okay number one lack of prep meaning you don't have the answers that the plaintiff attorney has because he or she he or she's done their jury research they know why they're pushing forward okay and why they're not settling the case Okay, so lack of preparation when it comes to um, trial strategy, uh, jury decision making, um, uh, estimations of uh, damages, lack of preparation, and inaccurate hypotheses on those issues. Okay, that's where the nuclear verdicts start. Okay, secondarily, but but just as important. Okay, shitty, and I mean shitty, witness testimony. Okay. Those two things put the defense in the worst spot. I mean, it's just, it's the absolute worst spot. And so the good news is that all of this is preventable. <laughs> it's preventable with a, a more proactive attitude. And that's really what I've seen uh, lately from many of my clients. A lot of new clients <clears throat> have called. And so as we work, and boy, am I busy, like working 100 hours a week, we are, I'm still even on top of all the work both by Zoom and traveling around, speaking at various organizations to educate them about the causal factors of nuclear verdicts, um, to try to educate them on prevention uh, and, and, and courtroom sciences. I mean, we have the prevention plan, okay? Our clients don't get hit for nuclear verdicts and there's a reason for it. We have a system and uh, utilizing that system uh, is, is, a, is a great way to um, protect yourself as the attorney, uh, protect your clients. Now, the bad news is that there's still going to be some usually insurance companies out there uh, that'll be penny wise and pound foolish 
that will say, no, 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 we don't need that. I think that's a huge risk. And so I think if you're a trial attorney, I think talking to your clients, figuring out where they're at on that spectrum, how they feel about certain things. I mean, you don't have to utilize this system for all cases, but um, having a proactive system, uh, I think is very important to saving a lot of money for the client. And then, um, you know, being a, being a more aggressive defense attorney. It's a win-win for everybody. All right, so for this podcast, I'm gonna save my rant till the end because it's too painful to start with. Um, last week, I went to the, the best place in the universe. I mean, the number one place, the place I wanna retire, the place I wanna die, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I sat there and watched the Tar Heels get completely trounced, destroyed, kicked right in the teeth, over and over and over again in the Dean Smith Center at 6 p.m. last Saturday. Um, very painful experience. I did not experience amygdala hijack. You would think I'd lose my mind during that. No, because from the opening tip, and of course it was the arch enemy, the Duke Blue Devils just absolutely destroyed us. I didn't even get mad. I didn't yell. I just kind of sat there and took my medicine. But one of those years in, in college sports, I let it get to me too much. So I didn't even get mad, sat there, didn't yell, didn't scream, and just got out of there as soon as humanly possible. Well, the good news is that uh, they'll play again, and they'll play again next year, play again next year. I'll keep going, and um, hopefully the Tar Heels can get their act together, but you know, that's how it goes. Uh, appreciate Listen, I've gotten a lot of calls, particularly from 30 and 40 something younger defense counsel that love this podcast. And uh, we want to have you on the podcast. Uh, we'd like to get you some exposure. But we also want to talk to you about your experiences uh, as a younger defense attorney, the things that you're, you know, that you're challenged with, the things that you want to get better at. Um, and we'd really love to have you on. But we really appreciate that we have so many younger attorneys as audience members that's really really important to me and so what we're trying to do on the podcast is uh disseminate information to our audience and um as things happen and as the plaintiff bar evolves and as we see things in the in various industries changing we want to come on here and we want to discuss them and if you're seeing things changing i mean email me get 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 with me on linkedin and we want to have you on the show. We want to talk about these issues and then spread the word to other defense attorneys. That's been the defense bar's problem for decades. And I really think we're starting to change that. I know in trucking, the trucking industry, I can tell you right now, it's changing. There's a huge movement, particularly through the, through the Blue Wire group. Go to bluewire.ai. I'm sorry, bluewire. Let's see, bluewire.ai. There you go. I almost screwed that up. It's not .com, bluewire.ai, artificial intelligence. The Blue Wire Group uh, is doing a phenomenal job of putting things together on a very secure platform for people in the industry to trade notes. People in the industry to trade notes, share ideas, share stories about victory, share stories about defeat. Oh, by the way, the same thing that the plaintiff's bar has been doing. For decades and they disseminate information really really well well guess what the defense can do that they actually can do that but 
they need to want to do that. They need to understand that there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, and we really need full buy-in from everybody in the defense bar, from the trial attorney to the claims people, to the corporate people, sharing information. Um, this is a very uh, quickly evolving world. <laughs> and so sharing that information regularly and quickly um, is very important. And you know, it's gonna decrease the chances of nuclear verdicts. It's going to hopefully suppress uh, nuclear settlements. And the more that we communicate and the more we're on the same page, things are gonna really, really, I think, work out better. And we're actually, I think we're actually gonna turn the tables on the bad guys. This is Dr. Bill Kanaski with Courtroom Sciences Litigation Psychology Podcast. We will see you next time. <laughs>